Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online with the sports world back and hopefully here to stay for at least the end of the 2020 season. BetOnline is here to help you make some good noise in 2020. It's been a hard year. It's been a very, very hard year. It's been very rough. Make it a little bit better by going to BetOnline.ag and winning a little bit of money. This is a crazy season. You can literally make as much money as you want on any of the most random bets, and somebody is going to hit one of these random bets. Somebody is going to bet that a team like the Marlins makes the playoffs, and in this weird 60-game season, it's going to happen. Go to BetOnline.ag, and that could be you that wins the money that's on it. It could be you that comes away looking like a genius. It could be you that comes away and gives all of your friends bad advice for the next season. BetOnline.ag, here for all of your sporting needs. Not just with live sports, though. If you're into watching the gaming, eSports is a big deal nowadays. They've got simulated NFL, simulated NBA, and simulated UFC matches happening every day. Just go to BetOnline.ag and let them know where you found us. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. All right, Doc, so... Uh, Olympus has fallen. I think that's one way to word this this first topic of the show. Um, you agree? So this is two straight Mondays that I have had game coverage for Talking Chop. The first one, Mike Fultonavich got pulverized and then DFA'd. Braves lost 14-5. to <laughs> And then this most recent one, oh, no. Mike Soroka tore his Achilles. It was a very uncomfortable couple of hours i just sat there in basically stunned silence for 45 minutes and just felt sick to my stomach i i how did you take it i mean were you watching the game in real time when it happened oh yeah i was and when it happened i actually looked at my wife and i was like oh that's an achilles um there were only one of two things it could have been it could have been a hamstring avulsion or it could have been his achilles and it's weird when you say an avulsion is the best case scenario 
Um, but you could see it when he planted on it and his heel kind of stayed planted. You could actually see the muscle roll up. Yeah. Or you could kind of see it, what they call when they talk about watching it pop. That's what they mean, where you can see that movement beneath the skin. You just see a big bulge before it just rolls or goes slack. That's that's what that is. And a ruptured Achilles, luckily it wasn't on his plant leg. It Was was it on the follow-through leg, I believe, his right leg? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it was on his right leg. Yeah. yeah, which is better than your plant leg. Um, obviously, no torn Achilles is a good torn Achilles. But I believe this is the same type of scenario that happened to Adam Wainwright a few years back. And I believe he was back in about seven or eight months. Now, this is a nine to 12 month uh, turn uh, timetable for Soroka. I would rather the Braves go very cautiously with this because the Achilles is a major, major injury. It doesn't matter what sports you're in. For any athlete, the Achilles is, is like the, the oblique injury. Like that, that's the one in, across all sports that sucks equally as badly across all sports because it has everything to do with everything, especially as a pitcher. I mean, you kind of need your ankles to be able to flex. You kind of need your leg. It's kind of where all your drive comes from. So um, hard hard to see that happen to Soroka. Uh, and really not good news for the Braves. But if there's a, I don't want to say a silver lining, if a gray lining maybe, would gray work? A not black lining? A slightly less black lining? There is a slightly less black lining that you put up in our show sheet, and I actually did think about when it happened. So, uh I'm going to let you discuss this slightly less black lining um, instead of me. So uh, in case anybody wants to throw any barbs or jabs, it's not at me this week. No, I'll I'll gladly take it. I mean, it kind of builds off something that we talked about last week. I mean, guys like Kyle Wright and Tukey and Newcomb, honestly, I mean, it feels like, at least for Wright and Tukey, and Bryce Wilson, too. It feels like they have been given opportunities to try, but they haven't been given opportunities to really succeed. Just the way that, you know, back when they were getting these opportunities, Fulty was in his all-star form and Julio was still here. And, you know, you had guys that were contributing, so you didn't have as many spots. Well, now, I mean, Soroka is out. Felix is out. Fulty's out. Hamels is out, all for varying reasons. Every single one of those guys is out for a different reason. So the... There is now Max Freed and four open spots. Now, Kyle Wright was probably going to get a long leash. I think they realized that they need to give him a long leash. And it's the same thing with Nuke, and it's the same thing with Tukey, and, you know, and there will be some, some other spots to be had there. So what we talked about last week was knowing if you're Kyle Wright, you never want to go out and suck, but it's good to know that you can go out and suck and you're not going to get immediately sent back to Gornett. He can be comfortable. He can learn lessons. You saw it the other day in the start against the Mets. He had two base runners on every single inning, and he did not allow one run to score. Now, playing with fire, yes. Is that going to happen every time? No. You saw uh, one of his other start that he had where base runners were everywhere, and it seemed like they were all coming in. It was like Bugs Bunny was pitching. So... Knowing that you can go out and suck and not get sent back to Gwinnett for all of these guys, because Newcomb got demoted to the bullpen, Tukey always got sent back down, Wright always got sent back down, Bryce Wilson always gets sent back down, and they know that they can actually learn these things and they can mentally harden themselves instead of having to sit there and wonder like why they don't keep getting these opportunities. The Braves World Series chances without Soroka, they're not as good <laughs> as they are with him. I don't have the numbers in that's, front of me. That's one way to put it. Yeah, so so what are you going to do? I mean, and the offense is still good enough, and the bullpen is still good enough to where I can squint and I still see a team where it's like, 
I don't know, dude. Maybe they can still make some noise. There's no, there's no sugarcoating the fact that Mike Soroka is gone. But the reason they keep trying to get Kyle Wright to be this guy, and they keep trying to get Tuki to be this guy, is because they see it. You can look at these guys, and you can legitimately see that Freed, Wright, and Tuki is not a perfect top three, but it is good enough. It's my inner homer, and I'm trying to make the lining silver again instead of being, you know, not quite all the way black, so I don't know. I just like the idea of going into 2021 and having a better idea of whether you're going to hang on to Sean Newcomb. And I don't think that they're going to get rid of Wright and Tukey yet, but Nuke's 27, Fulty's 27, 28, you know, and he's already been DFA'd. I would be surprised if he's back next year, and Newcomb, if he can't stick, then they're going to have to figure out whether he's full-time reliever or full-time starter. This is his last shot as a starter in Atlanta. So going into 2021, and they know that they still have other waves of pitching that are still coming. There's Ian Anderson, and there's Tucker Davidson, who they could turn to this year, but I think that they've kind of elected that these are the the guys are going to do first. So they're able to put these guys in situations where they can see how they rebound off of bad starts, off of starts that had good results, but kind of uh, shaky in-game action, like you saw it right the other day. So the 2021 rotation will be much better suited to have the rest of this year played out by just having Max Fried and four prospects. Maybe at the trade deadline they try and get somebody, but the Marlins and Cardinals are, are back playing baseball again, but who's to say that the, I don't know, the Rangers aren't going to have a COVID outbreak next week and the season gets canceled. So who knows? Just let the kids pitch. I'm going to, I'm going to need you to not ever bring up the season getting canceled though, ever again. Um, <clears throat> because now that we have games every day, I, I can't give it up. Um, but you, you brought up Tukey and you brought up nuke. So we're going to talk about Tukey in just a second because we're recording this on Thursday, and there's a reason why we're recording today, uh, on Thursday and we're not doing this on Friday. It's because this is going to be one of the more fun matchup breakdowns we've ever done. But I want to talk about Newcomb for a second, and I want to talk about Newcomb's start last night. You listened on the radio, um, and you told me that you caught the Joe Simpson edition. So I'm not sure how Joe was feeling about Sean's start, um, but it was it was a typical good outing from Sean Newcomb. It, was, it wasn't the... Dodgers outing and it wasn't the Rockies outing which at this point I think we can both say are probably outliers like it's not every time you're going to go out there and throw like one hitter perfect game types but what you got last night out of Sean Newcomb is what is what Sean needs to build off of and I don't want to say that for Sean it's it's a good thing that Soroka went down because it's not good for any of them that, that he went down but for Sean it did take a little bit of the pressure off because if if none of that had happened with Soroka and Newcomb had come out again, this would have been like it for him. He would have either had to sink or swim last night, or he'd have been back in the bullpen or option to Gwinnett, which case he probably wouldn't have been back up unless other people failed. For what Sean did last night is I, I, he does some weird wizardry when he's quote-unquote on, because it's not really on. It's, it's the hardest thing ever, and I know it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at Newcomb, but I'm really not, because what you saw last night from him was a pitcher that had zero clue where the ball was going. But he didn't let it bother him. For for once, what I've been what we've all been asking Newcomb to do for what feels like two and a half years, to just go out there and throw the ball, he did that last night. And he was rewarded. I know the Braves lost two to one, but the two runs really weren't Newcomb's fault. He really didn't get hit hard at all. And it, it comes from hitters being off balance. They don't know what to expect. If the pitcher doesn't know what to expect with his own pitches, the hitter definitely doesn't know what to expect. And I, I call it being effectively wild. And for Sean, 
that might just be that might just be who he is and if that's okay if you get start if he could come out there every single night and give you five innings of what he gave you last night that's a Sean Newcomb you can win with and for Sean that's what he needs to focus on is it might not it was not the prettiest outing at all he was in a few deep counts his pitch count got ran up but some guys are just built that way I, I we were talking before the show and I, I mentioned a name Ubaldo Jimenez that's a lot like what Newcomb kind of reminds me of here. He's not a huge walk guy. Newcomb actually didn't walk. I think he walked one batter last night. Um, d- didn't really walk a lot of people. Didn't strike out a ton of people. But I think he struck out four in four and a third or four and two thirds, which is not horrible. You can live with that. I think we see the big body and we see the 96, 97, and we just automatically assume that he should be a 12 strikeout guy. That might just not be his game. If Newcomb can go out there and give you you know, in a in a full season in 2021, if Newcomb could go out there and give you 25 starts of what he gave you last night, you can win with that. It's not going to be a number one. It's not going to be a number two. But we don't need Sean to be that. We just need Sean to be to be able to get enough people out to give the Braves offense and the Braves bullpen a chance to win the game. So for what I saw last night from Sean Newcomb, that was the best outing of the year, easily for me for for Sean Newcomb. It wasn't pretty, but it worked. It was effective. When we had Kylie McDaniel on, he said something that is so very simple that blew my mind. He said, people always want to talk about what prospects cannot do, but I always want to talk about what they can do. And with Newcomb, you got a pretty good idea of what he can do and what he can't. And for someone like him to actually work, because the start against the Mets, the first three innings, he was lights out, you know? And then he fell apart in the fourth inning. So, and then you could kind of, you could see, I could only hear it because I was watching it on the radio, but like the first couple of innings, he was fine. Everything was all good. Allowed a run, not necessarily his fault. You know, there was some, the, the cutoff by Riley kind of kind of screwed that. So if Sean Newcomb can give you three spotless innings, why try and make him throw more than that? Yeah, sure. Maybe you can, you can save the bullpen by, uh, by letting him go five. But if you sacrifice two runs, then doing that, Why? And if you got Bryce Wilson, who can only go three innings, but they're all spotless, why wouldn't you just do that? Stop trying to force somebody into doing something they can't do. It does seem weird that the Braves would have, like, 12 guys that can go three innings in their bullpen, and that's it. Or nine guys, whatever. But you look at who, they, who they've got out there now. You've got Matzik, who can do multiple innings. You've got Josh Tomlin, who can do multiple innings. Luke Jackson can do multiple innings. They're kind of setting themselves up for something like this anyway. So if you can adequately sequence everybody and to where they're all playing to their strengths and not having to dip into a well that there's no water in, then, I mean, just play to your strengths at that point. And and maybe the, the farther that Newt gets away from being a reliever, he's able to incorporate his entire repertoire, all of his pitches, and and get get a better idea of how to attack. Because I, I think... I think his sequencing might need a little bit of work. Like, as he's refining the pitches and he's refining the sequencing, then you can get some inconsistent results there. So I, I really like what I heard out of out of that outing. And I honestly, I thought that he had looked good in shorter stints earlier in the year. So maybe maybe if he gets stretched out, you could do a lot worse than having Sean Newcomb as your number two. And the more time he has, if he knows that he's not going to get sent to the, uh, the bullpen or down to Gwinnett, you know, that's a vote of confidence. Even if he didn't necessarily earn it, he's got it. So I hope they stick with him. And then you've also got, as you alluded to, we have Tukey starting tonight against Nate Pearson. And then we got Kyle Wright, I believe, is going Friday. 
So really, really big chances. I find myself during games thinking, yeah, I know what the offense can do. I love Acuna, but I, I, I know what he can do. I want to watch Tukey pitch. I think it's because... I think it's because you know what you have already in the offense. We already know the offense is elite. But you and I both know that if the Braves want to be world not not win a World Series, if they want to be World Series contenders, the the rotation has to hold up. They've got everything else in place. They've got an elite bullpen, they've got elite defense, they've got an elite offense. The only thing they're missing is a rotation. And that's why watching tonight's matchup, which again we're going to talk to in a minute because I got a one more thing on Nuke I got to talk about here real quick. But that's what you're looking for with this rotation. I'm, I'm with you. I'm more excited to see Tukey and his matchup partner tonight than I am to see the offense. I already know the offense is elite. I need the pitch. I need the starting pitching to be good enough to where that elite offense can can win for you and get you a lead to get to that elite bullpen. But with with Newcomb, one other thing I want to talk about because it's something that I have not seen anybody else mention, and you you said it when I was busy rambling during our pre-show. Um. And, and you brought it up about Fulty, talking about, really, you were talking about Newcomb not having to look over his shoulder to know that he's got a few starts now at least before he has to worry about getting sent back down. You talked about Fulty and how the, the picture of Fulty being mentally weak is something that we always discuss with Fulty, but we don't discuss it with anybody else. And I actually think that that's a fantastic thing to talk about because it's obvious with Fulty he gets angry and when he gets angry he gets animated but I I actually believe that the mental hurdle has been the hardest for Sean Newcomb too and I think I think we don't do Fulty a service when we only discuss it with Fulty and it's not like if you mention it with Newcomb that it means that all that means he can never get it there have been plenty of pitchers that have had mental hurdles to get over before they could become effective pitchers I mean the Smoltz thing is very well talked about the Glavin thing very well talked about, beaten to death around Braves country at this point, but it's beaten to death because it does hold true. And for Newcomb, he doesn't get angry and get pissed off like Fulty, but you can tell when his mental game's not on point because he starts being timid. He starts dialing down to 91 and trying to make sure that he puts the ball exactly where he wants to put it. If you don't have the command to put the ball where you want to put it, all you're doing is taking your 94 and unpredictable, your 96 unpredictable to 91 and unpredictable. And that's not good because Chip and Jeff and everybody else can tell you all they want about how a well-located 91 is just as effective as a 95. It's not true unless you're Hinjin Ryu, as we saw last night. Um, but for Newcomb, he's got such good stuff, man. Just let the stuff go. If if you're not going to know, like like I mentioned with Ubaldo Jimenez, it is possible to be effectively wild and to be a very effective pitcher without having pinpoint command. And I think Newcomb has the right body, the right amount of stuff, and the right velocity when he's throwing to where being that type of effectively wild can really work for him. And I really hope it does because at 27, there's just not a lot of time for Newcomb to figure this out. I know he came into the prospect game late. He's really, what, he came in at 20, 23 or 24. He came in as an older draft pick. So, it's been he doesn't have the same amount of miles on him that a normal 27-year-old would have, but it is time. And we talk about it all the time. This is the time for him to figure out if he can manage being a starter in the major leagues. And doing what he did last night is a very, very good step. I don't want to waste any more time on Newcomb. We'll talk about him at another date, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be another point where I'm not as, as you know, happy with Newcomb. I'm sure I'll be angry with him again at some point. Uh, but I know you are super excited for tonight's matchup. I am too. You mentioned Tuki Toussaint. And you mentioned everything that I really wanted to talk about with Tukey. That, again, it's it's to see, can he get a second time through the order? Can he effectively sequence? Can he locate his fastball enough to where you feel comfortable letting him see the order a second time? Because 
The Blue Jays might not be a team that wins a lot of games this year, but they are a very, very good lineup for most of their lineup and a very intriguing team of talent put together. It's not ready to be realized, but there's a lot of talent on that roster. And if Tukey comes out and he doesn't have his fastball command and he's only living off of the split change and or the split and his uh, his curveball, it's going to be a short night for Tukey. And facing his opponent tonight, I don't want Tukey to have a short outing. I want Tukey to go toe to toe with his matchup tonight. A lot of the Blue Jays' biggest prospects, you know, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevon Biggio, Danny Jansen, are all on the offensive side. But the guy that's pitching tonight is Nate Pearson. He is the number one, not just pitching prospect, but the number one prospect in their organization. Throws 102, hammer curveball. The guy is a freak. And this matchup, and I texted you the same thing earlier today, this is the type of game that the only two outcomes are 2-1, to one, or 13 to 10. This could be an absolute shootout, just depending, because this is Pearson's second start yep. that he's ever made. Second this is the start. second guy this week that the Braves are facing who is making his second career start, David Peterson being the other one, but they, they uh, beat him on Sunday. I don't know. The You see stories all the time about guys that they don't have the book on, they haven't seen seen him ever pitch before, and 102, even if you know it's coming, it's still hard to time. Hard to have a book on 102. 102 is a lot. The difference between, I mean, going from 96 to 99 is huge. And then going from 99 to 102 is just like, good luck. Hope, hope that you put the bat in the right spot. And it's it's a really fun matchup. And it's a really fun team. I actually really like the Blue Jays roster. And you mentioned the prospects they have without mentioning Lourdes Gurriel, who he's he's not really a prospect anymore, but he was last year. And he's, he's come up and he's quietly been one of their most effective pieces. We've seen what Bo Bichette can do. He's a really, really good player. Vlad Jr., I mean, if you're listening to any prospect analyst, they're going to say that Vlad Jr. is flat-out elite, and I I agree. Um, do I think he's a little oversold? Yeah. Um, but you show me one number one prospect in baseball that isn't a little oversold, and uh, I'll call you a liar. But it is a fun matchup, and I want to see Pearson. He's a big 6'6", 250-pounder with that 102, that hammer curve. But for Tukey, it's a good opportunity. This is a good young lineup, but they are a young lineup. So this is the type of, of matchup that Tukey hopefully will take full advantage of. This is one of those where if he can be semi-command with his fastball, it doesn't have to be perfect command, but if he has enough command of the fastball to keep hitters off of that curve, you're going to see him induce a lot of horrific swings against some great prospects. It'll be great for his highlight reel. We talk about Kyle Wright going tomorrow. It's same thing with Kyle Wright. This is These are two really good matchups for these guys to really put their stuff on display and really work on getting a second time through the order. They're, it's a very young lineup for the Jays. This is a good matchup for those young guys. I'm excited to see it. On the other side of things, uh, if you haven't seen the lineup yet today, um, there's two surprises. They're kind of tied in together. One of them uh, would be Nick Markakis. He is actually in right field tonight, not left field, and he is batting fifth. I don't know if that's really a surprise to anybody. Um, but the guy he's replacing in the lineup is not Adam Duvall against a righty. It is Ender Inciarte. And for Ender fans, this is about as bad a sign as you could think of. He's obviously, I mean, he's been a slow starter for every year and I think a lot of us were hoping to see we're in the second half technically you know we're in the, the time wise we're in the second half of, of the baseball schedule what it should be uh, does he just hit well when it's the hotter than hell outside and come to find out uh, no that is that is not the case and the biggest 
takeaway from this. If Ender's not hitting against righties and his defense is starting to go a little bit, like one of the runs for last night that they came across for Newcomb was because I dropped fly ball from Ender. He had two drops last night that just that hit inside of his glove and just came out. And so if you've got a guy that's making $8 million, can't hit, but his calling card was always his defense, they put him in the nine spot and not even necessarily to be like a second leadoff man. It just kind of was like, we're going to basically kind of hide you in here, which is what it turned into. So if Adam Duvall, who is not exactly spectacular against righties, like some of some of his, if he's going in there against righties, I mean, if Brian Snitker is losing faith in you, it's bad. Things must be bad. And the bad news is that from that is you can look at this one of two ways. Either Ender's bat has been so bad that Snit has to bench him, or Ender's defense has not been Ender's defense, and right now you can make a legitimate case that Acuna, Duvall, and Nick is no different, is not really a big drop defensively from Ender, Acuna, and Duvall, or at least a big enough difference to want Ender's bat over Nick's. I don't agree with Nick batting fifth, but again, that, that's that's splitting hairs. I just don't like a non-power hitter in a power-hitting spot in the lineup. But the thing on Ender is you brought it up, $8 million for a guy that's not going to hit and so far has not – it looks like he's lost a step speed-wise and is not playing elite defense. Like Neither of those plays that bounced out of his glove were easy plays. They weren't errors because they weren't easy plays. But – if you're paying you're paying Ender $8 million because Ender should have those plays. And if Ender's not making those plays, you might as well bring up Pache because Pache will make those plays. And if Pache's not going to be good on offense, he's going to be at least as good or better than Ender with a better level of defense at the moment. And that's, for Ender fans, that's what they've got to watch out for because I'm here to tell you, when the Braves call up Christian Pache, they're not sending him back down. In a perfect world, that'll be the case, and and I don't I don't think that they would bring him up if they had any intention of having him be just a bench bat. I think when Christian Pache comes up, he is he's entrenched in a starting role Agreed. until there's some reason for him not to be, and he should be. I mean, if he's your center fielder of the future, which he is, and he's already considered a top ten or top five defensive center fielder in Major League Baseball, which he is, then you know. Ender's got to pick his game up if he wants to if he wants to hold that guy off. I know the Braves don't want to start the service time clock on a season that doesn't really matter very much, but they're not going to sacrifice 2021 if they think that Ender's just basically wasted money at the moment and they feel that they can get enough development from Pache to where 2021 he's going to be ready and raring to go out of the gates and get his adjustment out of the way, then they'd be stupid not to do it. And you know, you'll see Nick tonight. Hopefully, he's a, they. Ha, I think they have Nick in there for a couple reasons. One, because Ender's not hitting well anyway, and Ender's bat has looked really, really slow. So putting him in there against somebody throwing one oh two, it's not really that kind to him. And Nick, even though he's not hit live pitching other than one at bat last night for you know since spring training one point oh, um, you feel pretty good about Nick at least being able to poke a slider somewhere or poke a curveball somewhere, even if one oh two is a little rough. Uh, you feel better about Nick's chances of hitting Pearson than Ender's. So I understand putting Nick in the lineup. I, I just I don't think I would have had him bat in fifth, but, you know, whatever. Um, but you did bring up Brian Snicker, and you brought up um, if Snit's losing faith in somebody, that's a bad sign. Uh, there's 
another another issue of Brian Snicker, and um, you know exactly where I'm going with this, and so do all of you listening. But uh, for for those that are looking for the pragmatic take, I'm going to let you go first, Doc. Actually, before we roll into this next topic, just wanted to let you know that we are brought to you by a number of sponsors today, first of which being we are brought to you by Instagram. Just add water and grow your own grandmother. We are brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The Braves are in first place. If you think they can keep it up even without Mike Soroka, go to BetOnline.ag and put your money on the line. We are also brought to you by Manscaped. If you were born in the 1970s, maybe you've got a soft spot for what we'll refer to as disco hygiene. You came into this world loving the Bee Gees and Bell Bottoms, and most of all, the fully embracing of one's own body hair. But it's not the 70s anymore, and trends have changed. It was once considered fashionable to have a mustache covering your entire body, but not anymore. Cleanliness. Cleanliness is where it's at now, and there's no quicker path to bodily cleanliness than Manscaped. They are revolutionizing the body hair game with the all-new Lawnmower 3.0. You can cut and trim and shape, and you can do all kinds of fun stuff with your body hair. But it all just comes down to keeping things tidy. And, added bonus, you don't have to use the same trimmer that you use on your face. So think about that. Less hair means less stuff for you to worry about. And don't be fooled by the name. Ladies, you can use it too. Men get blamed for being hairy beasts. But women have to tend to their their things as well. So you can uh, invite the lawnmower on your next date night. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code armchair for 20% off your order and free shipping. They're trimming costs so you can trim yourself. Once again, manscaped.com, promo code armchair, 20% off your order and free shipping. Okay. Ozzy Albies is on the injured list right now. He was playing in a 10-1 game the other night. Anthony Kay, who is a lefty, came in. And Ozzy is a switch hitter, so naturally he should have been to the right side of the plate. But he's been dealing with some wrist soreness, and he looked much less comfortable from the right side. So much so, in fact, that when Kay came in, Ozzy was batting from the left side. It's the first time I've ever seen him do that. And Ozzy went on the IL the next day. And when Snit was asked about it, he was he said, "Well, you know, we had a lead, and uh, I just wanted him in there to play defense." What? Danny Hechevarria and or Charlie Gulberson, fully capable of banning second base for you know two three innings, um, could have just stepped in and given Ozzy some time off. And I just I never fully understood. I was gonna see if you could actually explain to me the reasoning behind that because I I am a bigger snit defender than you are, but that one. I had to do some real mental gymnastics to try and come up with something there, and I got nothing. So can you help me? Um, I, I've never seen somebody intentionally hit their worst side switch hitting. I mean, it's not like like I could understand Ozzy batting righty against a righty if his wrist is hurting because Ozzy is a far better right. Ozzy is a short list elite right-handed hitter. Um, he is barely league average left-handed. In fact, some people would say below league average, which is why the topic seems to come up every year of should Ozzy Albies ditch switch hitting and just bat righty. Well, um, here's a little case in point for Brian Snicker, who we just went through this last year with Freddie Freeman and his wrist. If you're young, one of your young superstar players is too hurt to actually bat from the right-hand side, he is too hurt to play. And the reasoning of, well, I wanted him in the game for defense like it wasn't just that he said he wanted him in the game for defense that that makes it sound like it like there was a reason to have him in the game for defense he said if the game were closer i would have pulled him but Which because also does not make sense but because we were up by so much i wanted his glove for defense i i 
listen, I like Brian Snicker, the person. Um, I have never heard a dumber excuse in my entire life for keeping an injured player on the field. Like he sh- literally, he could have just said, "Yeah, Ozzy told me he didn't want to come out," and I would have, I would have been angry at that. I'd have been a heck of a lot happier than thinking that my manager thinks that an eight, a nine-run lead is worth keeping an injured player who's super important to your team and its future in the game. Yet, if it were closer, it would be okay to pull him. Like, I have, I have zero ways to make sense of that. There is no way to make sense of that. That is just a dumb call, and I, I'm happy that they put him on the IL immediately after the game. But that's, that is one of those snit things that you and I, we, we go good for a while. We start giving him a lot of praise, and he takes a big step forward. Like, we've been praising him about what he's been doing with the lineup. And then he just does something like this, where it's like he takes a step forward, but he falls four rungs down a ladder. And, and just, I, I have no words to accurately describe how stupid of a reasoning that really was. Well, and I, he just he hasn't looked right all season long. All season. And, and so far, I mean, and this this is the weirdest thing of all. If you had told me last year I was going to make this statement, I would never believe you. Out of 36 players that have played for the Braves this year, Ozzie Albies is the least valuable one. He is hitting 159, 196, 273. His weighted runs created plus is 29, so he's 71% below league average. He has been worth negative .3 F4 in 11 games. So him going on the IL, not even as a rehab thing, or the ability to just rest and get better, the fact that he's not playing every day actually somehow makes this Braves team better. It, I can't believe I actually said sitting Ozzie Albies or sending him to the IL actually makes this team better. It's absurd to consider. But you got to do it. I mean, it, you just have to do it. I just come to the point where it seems absurd to me to risk a lasting injury into 2021 when you know it's a real season with real outcomes for a guy that you literally just signed to a long-term deal, a cheap long-term deal, but a long-term deal, and a guy that you're counting on to be the number two franchise cornerstone of your team next to Ronald Acuna, and you're risking him over a stupid, over a nine-run cushion. It's weird, and that, and that's why I keep coming back to there's got to be something I'm missing because there's no way that this is all of the information and that that's just it. I I can't I can't believe that that's all it is. Uh, it's Echeverria going tonight. Culberson got himself a start last night, much to the the joy of certain sects of Braves fans. Echeverria goes at second tonight. Camargo will be playing third. Riley getting a day off today as Riley has. Not been hitting very well. Um, he's had some better swings lately. Just overall hasn't really been hitting well. Johan has has been struggling too. It's one of the one of the things that seems so weird about the season. At the beginning of spring training, actual spring training, those two were the hottest hitters on the team and some of the hottest hitters in spring training. Period. Uh, fast forward to the season, hasn't really gotten going for either of them. Camargo looks like he's getting a little bit better. The changeup though is the changeup of the split are doing numbers on Johan right now. And velocity in the slider is in the changeup as well. Everything's kind of doing it for Austin. Luckily, what we know with Austin is it's very Troy Gloss like. Which Troy Gloss, if you've heard Chipper announce, he's probably said this literally every game he's ever been announcing, and he's been asked about Austin Riley. That Troy Gloss told him once he only needs forty good swings a year. It's basically Austin Riley. 
he's still producing uh, the power and the defense has looked great. So I'm actually going to check this right now because we had some feedback on some statistical inaccuracies last week. Thank you, John, for pointing that out to us. Okay, here we go. Austin Riley has been 0.0. So he actually, he's done good enough with the power and the defense to where his war is actually neutral as opposed to Ozzy, whose offense has been so far in the tank that uh, even having good defense can't pull him out of that. So um, it, he's got a role, and I know that <clears throat> he's probably got some similar some similar mental stuff to the other guys too. I mean, he talked about about that last year about um, tricking yourself with the with the slider, and then when you're looking for that, then you're not able to catch up with, with anything else. So um, I still have faith in him to come through. It, are you noticing that trend that I'm just putting all my all my faith behind all of these guys to just figure it out one of these days? I mean, yeah. Riley's gonna he's gonna be fine. I mean, I'm not gonna say that I'm believing in everybody as much as you. I would prefer that you're the correct one in this instance. I prefer your outlook works because I would love for everybody to figure it out. I think Austin is still a very big piece to the future of the Braves at this point in time. Now the other issue is you don't want somebody to become a Mike Olt where you try them so much that they just lose every bit of value. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that the Braves should be entertaining trading Austin Riley right now. Right now is probably not the best time to do it anyway, especially for this season, like especially with Ozzy being on the IL, probably not the right time to consider that move. Um, but it is, again, I say this about a lot of people. Austin doesn't have a lot of time to figure this out as, as it is now. He and Johan are, are biting and clawing every step of the way to see who can play third base more than one day in a row. Uh, that's why I kind of hope that they'll let Camargo play a lot of second base while Ozzy's getting healed up and let Riley play third. Results, you know, results go by the wayside and just let these two play for a little bit and actually see what you've got from these guys when they don't have to look over their shoulder at the other one. I like just like you were talking, we were talking about with Newcomb and Tuki and the other young pitchers. I feel the same way about Riley and Camargo. This season let these guys get their ABs and see which one of them is, is really the future of your club and which one is a guy that's on the outside looking in. I think it's, it's time for the Braves to at least take a look at that. I understand that nobody wants to quote-unquote tank or anything like that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to tank, but I am saying that if Ozzy is going to be on the shelf for any real length of time, go ahead and, and let Camargo play second. He can handle it. And let Riley play third. And let, let's see what you've got in these guys. Yeah, Camargo's got a long history as a he came up as a middle infielder, so um, I think I think that's probably a good thing. I w- I was uh, surprised that um, Camargo actually didn't get the start at second. It does make sense to rotate in some of your bench options and make sure that they stay fresh. So, you know, Hetch Hetch was great down the stretch last year. Charlie Culberson has obviously had his moments over the past few, so there's some merits in getting both of them starts to keep them from just being ice cold if they get called on in a in a crucial moment or something like that. So I'm just I'm just so happy the season's still going. <laughs> Me I'm, too. I'm just really happy it hasn't. We haven't pulled the plug yet. God, that's twice that I've mentioned the season possibly getting I know, canceled. Stop so, it! Sorry. Stop it! I know. I'm sorry. Jeez, you're gonna make me think look, that you're one of these guys hoping that the season ends. I'm trying to even out with my unbridled optimism for Tukey and Nuke and everybody. I've got to have something to counteract it. Okay, so th- this is how I, I balance myself. By the way. One more thing, because we do got to end the show here soon, but something that we haven't talked about yet and we definitely should have already talked about, the Braves are getting a reinforcement into that elite bullpen. They're actually getting the most elite piece of that elite bullpen back in Will Smith, which 
actually can lend a lot of credence to your idea of piggybacking and using Tyler Matzik to to piggyback. I don't know if we've said this on a show or not, but you've mentioned it to me on the phone. And I I think that's a great idea. Matzik has been a revelation so far, but getting Will Smith back it is absolutely huge because it basically snip-proofs the bullpen again to where anytime, like it doesn't really matter which reliever you go to in the quote-unquote high-leverage situation, basically all of them are going to be really good to elite relievers to turn to. Uh, I think uh, I think bringing Will Smith back in tonight, look for him to get in the game tonight. Whether or not it's a blowout, whether or not it's a close game, I would look for Will Smith to get some uh, get some game time tonight. Yeah, I mean, this bullpen has been spectacular. I, we put out the tweet earlier today about how between Tomlin, uh, Green, Matzik, there, there were seven seven relievers in the bullpen that have combined to go 4-0 and with a sub-1 ERA and a fifth that's like 125 striking out almost 11 per nine, walking less than one per nine. And Darren O'Day, who is striking out 12 and a quarter per nine and has a 245 ERA, is the eighth best reliever (laughs) in that bullpen. And that doesn't even count Chris Martin. Now, granted, these are all small sample sizes. I mean, that's we're working with the data we have in 13 games. But adding Will Smith into that, that's just... I have never seen this deep of a bullpen in Atlanta and I am pretty old. So I'm really trying to think, I mean, everybody knows O'Flaherty, Ventures, and Kimbrell, but I mean, this entire bullpen, the whole thing is stacked. The whole thing. It's crazy. And now you just add, this is like the number one, uh, excuse me, the first free agent acquisition that you made in the off season. And one of one of the bigger ones, I mean, you can weigh it versus Ozuna and I'm pretty sure this is more valuable than Cole Hamels, but, uh, but yeah, this is one of your big money guys and you haven't had him for the first quarter of the season. So massive, massive addition. This is the type of bullpen that can actually compensate for having shoddy starting pitching. I mean, the, the Brewers were able to run to the NLCS. They were within one game of the world series a couple years ago. And that was with Yulis Chassin as, as their number one. So stranger things have happened. That's certainly true. Stranger things have happened, but um, I think what you and I can both agree on tonight is that this is going to be non stranger things. This is going to be a night where Tukey shoves and proves that he belongs in the rotation and the Braves can at least cross one name off of that list of question marks and put that in the firmly checks box label as we get ready for Kyle Wright to go tomorrow to break down the season and then get ready to just torch the rest of the AL East for the entire season. We got our two losses out of the way to the Rays. We got one loss out of the way to the Blue Jays. It's time for us to turn it on and show the AL East what a real Eastern Eastern team looks like. Hopefully any Yankees fans that turn this on by mistake don't don't think I hope they're not under the impression that I might hate the Yankees because I definitely do. Um, but all that being said, I think we're uh, running on too long. I think I'm going to ramble here in just a second. So before we get to the rambly part of this, I just want to say thank you for joining us for this episode. Doc, thanks for joining us today. And um, I really appreciate you doing the show with me. I know I uh, run on a little bit, but uh, I'm very, very, very excited to watch Tukey and Nate Pearson tonight. Hopefully we get some really good outings and hopefully we can see a good outing from Tukey tonight and another good outing from Kyle Wright tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we don't have these same question marks about those two by the time next week we roll around and do the same show. Yeah, with any luck, we will not look back at this episode and say, hey, do you remember that time that the Blue Jays hung 14 on Tukey before Snicker pulled him? <laughs> I certainly yeah, hope that's not what we're saying next week. Either way, He's injured. <laughs> Leave him in. 
<laughs> That's right. Everybody, uh, everybody else out there, just enjoy a premier matchup tonight. This is one of the best matchups, two really exciting young arms. Enjoy the matchup. Enjoy the episode. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Hopefully uh, you guys will join us, and we'll be back to talk about some Braves victories as Braves look to, for the third consecutive year of the Platinum Sombrero podcast running, the Braves will win the division, and uh, we'll be able to crow about it for a little bit longer. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in the episode. We'll be back again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you for being a friend Travel down the road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant And if you threw a party You invited everyone you knew You would see the biggest gift would be Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.